Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Surprise Jab Podcast. I'm your host, Zach Ruger, surprising you with new topics every single week and jabbing you with your daily dose of UFC, and we have plenty, plenty of UFC today. That is the main theme, the main dish of the episode today. This episode is coming out a day or two late, and that's because I contracted a minor cold I believe it was very unexpected. If you can probably tell by my voice, I am a bit congested. Uh, if anyone's heard some past episodes, I've been congested. It just it just sucks. It just sucks. You know, I can't really breathe out my nose. My head kind of feels heavy. I mean, sometimes my ears even feel funky, but we're going to get past all that. We're going to bump today's episode out. I was planning to try and film today's episode, but I want to be at my 100% best. Okay, I want to be at my best, and I want to find a good spot to do it. In my apartment, there really isn't a good area where the audio can be captured really well, where I can kind of just have some privacy. No outside distractions will happen. So we're trying to work on that. Maybe next year we'll have some more success, or maybe even over the summer uh, when we uh, start to work on that. But we shall see. Speaking of the summer, I need to find an internship. So if there's anyone of any regards listening to this that knows of anyone hiring interns for marketing, sales, anything business related, let me know. Even like uh, content creation related. I'm, I'm here. I just need an internship of some kind because I need to get a credit for a, uh, for a class. Uh, that's the simplest way to put it. On today's episode, though, it's a fun one. We're going to be recapping UFC Vegas 85, headlined by Nazardine Imavov and Roman Dolodice. Wow, that was already Saturday. That was already four days ago. It's crazy how fast time flies, but that's just how the world works. We're also going to be revisiting the UFC in 2022, almost towards the final of our uh, reviewing of the years of UFC. I don't know if I should review 2023 because like it just happened, but I might just to, just to go back over it. We're going to be talking about some new UFC news to kick stuff off, going over the 48 laws of power, and we're even going to check in on the NFL Pro Bowl. Among the many things we will talk about today. So strap in, get your popcorn ready, and uh, yeah, let's get this episode a-rolling. I'm very, I'm very excited with all the new UFC news that's been coming out. Nothing too major. I'm still waiting for that UFC 300 main event. Dana's just been edging us. Dana has not, not released it yet. What's going on with that, Dana? But um, I'm sure it'll be coming out soon as UFC 300 is by, uh, I believe, next Monday, next Tuesday. Next Tuesday, I think it is. Uh, it'll be officially two months away, April 13th. UFC 300 will be going down right now. There's 11 fights on the card. It's, uh, guaranteed 12 as the main event hasn't been released. But I'm thinking there's still like two more fights. Three more fights besides the main event. I'm hoping that we can get a 14, 15, 16 fight card. I'm very ambitious about what will happen, but... We'll see. In recent news, in recent UFC news, we're going to be talking about the rankings here after we go over the UFC news. But um, a fight that was made official that we had mentioned that was rumored is number 15 ranked Kyle Barallo will be taking on number 12 ranked Paul Craig at UFC 301 to kick off May. Kyle, the natural Barallo, is 15-1, and currently on a 12-fight win streak. Uh, eight of those uh, 15 wins by finish. He's coming off a big win over Abus Magomedov. Very happy to see him finally getting a ranked opponent. And I believe 
on my sheet, he is my biggest riser for the middleweight division for this coming year. We'll see what happens. Paul Craig, 1-1 one one since his move down here to middleweight from light heavyweight. Paul Craig, 17-7-1 professionally. He has a 100% finish rate, which is incredible. Uh, four knockouts, 13 submissions. And of his 17 victories, 11 in the first round. He's coming off of a, a tough loss to Brendan Allen back in November, but... That's what price what comes with facing higher competition. We'll see how Paul does in Brazil. I mean, Paul is from Scotland. Kyle Brallo is from Brazil. So Kyle will have that hometown advantage. Excited for that fight. A lot of new fights announced for UFC Vegas 87 going down March 2nd. The card that was supposed to be. It was supposed to be in Saudi Arabia, but of course the UFC moved it. Uh, speaking of Saudi Arabia, actually, um, Tyson Fury versus uh, Alexander Usyk was actually canceled and moved to May, I believe. Uh, that was a big boxing fight between the two undefeated heavyweights. I, uh, I'll be interested to see what uh, what happens there. But apparently there's a $10 million pullout clause. So, you, I don't know. We'll see what happens with that. Um, at UFC Vegas 87, we have a big flyweight fight uh, that was just announced between number 12-ranked Steve Ursig and number 9-ranked Matt Schnell. Steve Ursig made his UFC debut on short notice against um, who... Who was it? I know he made his, uh, it was against David Dork. Yes, that was back in 2023, and he capped off the year with unanimous decision win over Alessandro Costa. Uh, Steve is 11 and one on a 10 fight win streak. 11 of his um, uh, seven of his 11 wins are by finish, including six by submission. Happy to see Steve getting a good fight. I mean, stepping in on short notice against the number 10 guy at the time, David Dork, and beating him convincingly was super impressive. Tough competition up next though for uh, number nine ranked Matt Schnell, his opponent. Uh, Matt is 16 and 7, 11 of his 16 wins by finish, including nine of those in the first round. He is on a little losing streak, um, or he lost last time to Matthias Nikalu, got uh, knocked out there. But before that, he had a comeback of the year in 2022 against Sumadarji, uh, but before that got submitted by Brandon Royval. So it's been hit or miss with Matt Danger Schnell, but uh, I'll be interested to see. My predictions for both of these fights, um, probably Steve Ersig and Kyle Brallo, I expect them both to make the jump up into the top. 10 of their respective divisions. Also going down at UFC Vegas 87, Christian Leroy Duncan and Claudio Ribeiro, two notable unranked, um, what, what even weight class are they? Middleweight, I believe they are, always fluctuating. Uh, Christian Leroy Duncan is 9-1, coming off a big win over Dusko Todrovic, and also, actually, I think before that was Dennis Tolulin. I think Dennis Tolulin was his last fight. Uh, he was a Cage Warriors champion. He takes on Claudio Ribeiro, who was 1-2 in the UFC. Uh, you know, got a big finish over Joseph Holmes, but other than that, he's been knocked out by Roman Kopilov, knocked out by Abdul Razak Al-Hassan. This guy's a Brazilian black tie. I mean, he, he's talented, but um, I don't know how he's going to do with that. That should be a good fight, though. Uh, UFC Vegas 87, yet to have a main event for that March 2nd card. How is that March 2nd card shaping up? You have potential. To, I'd say we do Alex Perez versus Mohamed Mokhaev in the main event. It's going to be at the apex anyways. You'll have Shamil Gaziev and Jarzinho Rosenstruck. That could be the main event. I think um, MMA Theory on Instagram, a great page, proposed that the apex be more for fights we saw between Nazadine and Roman Dolodize, between kind of these up-and-coming fighters. And I really agree with that statement. I think that's probably the best option going forward that we could do since no one really cares about the Apex. And even after watching this past weekend's card, it, it gave us no reason to like watching the Apex fights. 
Uh, two releases um, in the UFC between Albert Durov and Phil Haas. Phil Haas, of course, had been knocked out like his last four fights, was recently knocked out on the last card against, uh, oh my gosh, who knocked out Phil Haas? Uh, Bruno Ferreira just has no chin. Shame to see. Very unfortunate. Goodbye, Phil Haas. Had so much prowess, so much potential when he debuted at uh, UFC 254 and knocked out Jacob Malkoon in 18 seconds. Since then, never got the ball rolling. He did beat Nazarene Nemovov, though. I find that very fascinating. But he was knocked out by Roman Dolodize. Um, and Albert Durav went 1-2 and two in the UFC. Uh, last two fights just got finished. Just just never got it going. Albert Durav so, looks so good on Dana White's Contender Series. Gets the UFC and just does not do much. So, sad to see that as well. But, guys, you can always work your way back. In unfortunate news, uh, Balaji Oki will be getting a new opponent after Demir Hadzovic has pulled out of their upcoming fight this Saturday. In will step Timothy Kuambo. Timothy is 8-1, making his UFC debut, born in February of 1999. Notable wins, he's beaten Matteo Vogel, which um, is oddly familiar. Um, he's coming from Extreme Couture, same gym as Sean Strickland, Chris Curtis, and Roman Dolodizzi, now let me mention it. Uh, excited to see him, but Bellagio Key, we're going to be talking about him this weekend a lot, very much looking forward to his fight, had a big win over Dylan Salvador on Dana White's Contender Series, he is uh, coming from, uh, he actually won the Atomic FC Championship um, in some realm, I believe he's from Belgium too, Bellagio Key coming from Dana White's Contender Series, excited for that fight. In other uh, non-actual fight-related news, uh, Anthony Smith has been itching to get back in the octagon. He he said that um, his next booking has to be something that he deems as fun. So what can we give the 30-something-year-old light heavyweight? Um, Anthony Smith is currently ranked number 10 at light heavyweight, and he's not facing anyone above him. Okay, he's beaten the number 11 guy, Ryan Spann, number 12 guy, Alonzo Menafield. Um, so where's some fun fights for him? Well, number 14 ranked Dominic Reyes. This could be a fight that the UFC deems winner stays in the UFC, loser goes. That could be a potential option. You got Dustin Jacoby, who's also in his 30s. Him and Anthony Smith fight a similar banging out style, can grapple when they want to. I'd be interested in that fight. But the realistic one, one fight that was booked before Khalil Roundtree Jr. stepped in was Azamat Mirzakhanov, who I think would be a perfect opponent for Anthony Smith. Azat Mirzakhanov is 13-0 with nine of those victories by knockout, undefeated. Coming off a win over the man I was just mentioning, Dustin Jacoby, and I think that would be a very, very fun fight for Anthony Smith. Other than that, there really isn't one of fun that Anthony Smith fighting isn't too fun. But there, he, there's just he's there's no legends for him to fight. He, he's either fighting a hungry up and comer or someone like the people I just listed. So Anthony, if it was up to me, I'd give you Osmot Merzikhanov. Um, if I was generous, Dominic Reyes or Dustin Jacoby. But if I'm the UFC, you're probably gonna get someone like Carlos Ulberg at this rate. Um, and Carlos Ulberg could be breaking into the ranking soon. He fights Alonzo Menafield coming up. And last in our new UFC news, Brendan Allen, who fights Marvin Vittori, uh, the uh, event April 6th before UFC 300, recently said on MMA Junkie that um, beating Marvin Vittori should get me a UFC title shot, or worst case scenario, a true number one contender fight. And we'll even like that on Twitter, because I completely agree. I'm with you, Brendan. I'm with you. Um, Brendan Allen currently ranked number seven at men's middleweight. He's on like a five or six fight win streak. Six fight win streak. 
Um, five of those six wins by finish, coming off the huge win over Paul Craig. And as he takes up Marvin Vittori, you know, Marvin coming off the loss to Jerry Cannonier, always a gritty fighter, 19-7-1 professional record, 11 first-round finishes, hasn't really gotten one lately. Hasn't hasn't really gotten one. Um, by, by the way, of those 11 first-round finishes, those have been all the finishes he's gotten. So he either goes the distance or gets a finish in round one. Never been finished either, which I find very impressive. Uh, that fight's really tough to tell because of how durable Marvin Vittori is, but just how hot Brendan Allen has been of late. I would probably lean more towards Brendan Allen at the moment, but the winner of that should be ranked number five. And if Brendan Allen wins that, he's looking at three potential names, depending what happens with Jared Kanier, Israel Adesanya, and Hamza Chmaev in the coming weeks when we get fight announcements. But Brendan Allen could be taken on either of them for a title eliminator. He could be taken on a rematch with Sean Strickland. He could be fighting um, Paulo Costa, Robert Wicker. Depending on that, there's a lot of options for Brendan Allen with a win. As for Marvin Vittori, I mean, he is still determined to become UFC champion. It's it's clean. It's not out of the picture, but uh, I don't know. I don't know. It's tough to tell. Those are all potential fights coming up in the future i say i say we save the ufc rankings for the end of the episode when we go over ufc vegas 87 so that'll conclude our new ufc news like i said not not too much but enough to now for us casual or not casual but us notable ufc fans will go oh yeah that's cool that is super cool Moving on to something that I just figured we should cover, the NFL Pro Bowl. I mean, it's it's the NFL Pro Bowl slowly become a joke. It's never really been a serious game. But this year was super weird. Started Thursday, February 1st, ran until February uh, 4th, this Sunday. I the that's this past Sunday. And they had a number of different competitions. Uh, and basically I've learned that the entire premise is based on AFC versus NFC. And I, I, this is just, let me just read you all the results of this. So we kicked things off. The opening round was a precision passing and accuracy competition in which each quarterback from both conferences attempted to hit as many targets as possible in one minute. And lo and behold, the winner of the whole competition was C.J. Stroud, who had 26 points. Uh, representing the AFC and the Houston Texans. And number two was Baker Mayfield of the Buccaneers with 24. Incredible to see. Uh, very interesting. Jalen Hurts uh, and Tua Tagovailoa finished at the bottom of the uh, precision passing. Very funny. And in the final round, Baker Mayfield actually edged out C.J. Stroud by one point, oddly earning the NFC three points in this basically time. And just every competition, it was either the NFC gets points or the AFC gets points. It was like team... Peyton Manning was representing the AFC, Eli Manning representing the NFC. I don't know. It was it was a cluster you-know-what, if you ask me. Next up was a high-stakes game, which is a multi-round competition in which players attempt to catch the most punts from a jugs machine without dropping other balls. This event replaced the lightning round competition from the previous year, and Miles Killebrew of the Pittsburgh Steelers won the event for the AFC after catching a punt while holding five other balls, six total. Very impressive, which tied it up 3-3. AFC, NFC. Next up was closest to the pin, which is a golf accuracy competition in which six players from each conference attempted to drive a golf ball as close to the hole as possible. Uh, this was a pre-recorded segment 
held at the par 3 18th hole of the Hawks Landing Golf Course at the Orlando World Center Marriott Hotel. And Brian Anger of the uh, freaking Cowboys won the event on his second attempt. What, what just a goofy, goofy scenario. Here's what I care about, though. In snapshots, long snappers and centers, snap balls at various targets with different sizes and point values. And the NFC won this event, scoring 14 points to the AFC's 10. And guess who was representing us? Andrew DePaulo, the long snapper for the, 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 the Minnesota Vikings with nine points, which brought the NFC's total over the AFC to nine to three. Very love, uh, very much in love with the Minnesota Vikings representing us out there. I was actually seeing that the Vikings uh, were... Uh, or some people are saying we should select J.J. McCarthy and re-sign Kirk Cousins and basically turn J.J. McCarthy into the next Kirk Cousins. I am all behind that idea. I loved Matt Michigan. And I think Harbaugh and uh, Kevin O'Connell can be on the same page with their coaching staffs. Dodgeball was up next, and the AFC won this game, earning themselves three points. That's all the info it gives me. It took place over two games, and yeah, NFC uh, was now up 12-6. to for some reason, okay, Sunday came around, each team's kicker played a version of tic-tac-toe when they kicked balls towards a giant board, I believe Justin Tucker won that, and then the flag football game to round it out, flag football game kicked off with, um, the first quarter of the game was played, the AFC outscored the NFC 12-7, to and all points scored, I believe, just count straight up towards how many points they get, then it was move the chains, which is a race competed by teams of five players from each conference. They had to first move 3,000 pounds of weight off a wall and then pull that 2,000-pound wall across the finish line. This game was held between the first and second quarters of the flag football game, and the NFC won that. Flag football in the second quarter, the AFC outscored the NFC 26-14, to putting the AFC up 47-36. to It doesn't even give me stats about how the players did. Thank you. Thank you very much, Internet. At the halftime, the two Madden players from each conference played Madden NFL 24 using the Pro Bowl rosters. Well, that is just so goofy. Puka Nakua and Micah Parsons defeat David Njoku and Tyreek Hill 36-15, earning their team three points. How about that? That's super fun. Following that, they had a gridiron gauntlet. Six players from each conference competed in a relay race through an obstacle course. And um, by looks of it, the NFC won. They then had a best catch Scenario where Puka Nakua and David Njoku were shown in pre-recorded segments doing special catches, and then they were voted on. Uh, I guess the NFC won that too. A gridiron gauntlet was next. They give us no info. Third quarter of the game was played. The NFC outscored the NFC 7-6. to six. And by the end of every single game, whatever, the NFC won 64-59. to 59. I'm going to be honest. I didn't watch it. I had no interest in watching it. I understand the players have more fun. But I have no fun. I don't want to sit at home and watch them play flag football. I heard that's going to be at the Olympics, by the way. What a joke. What an absolute joke. I do not want to see flag football at the Olympics. I'm just telling you my opinion. As a 21-year-old college student who watches a lot of sports, I have no interest in that. I did actually hear, though, that the FIFA World Cup is coming to the United States in 2026. I don't know if it's to Los Angeles or it's coming somewhere in the United States. I saw a clip of the turf that's currently on that field, and it is rough. Some player tried to slide on it and literally broke through the turf. It was, it was very comical. You can find it on the Internet. Um, but, man, I, I don't know what to make of that. Um, NFL Pro Bowl, very, very fascinating. 
I would prefer if you went back to the old days where the best players in the AFC played the best players in the NFC, and they actually tried, which they've never really tried. I think you need to add a stipulation, you know, if because I, I think when you play this, I compare this to playing the NBA All-Star game on 2K, NBA 2K, the video game, where, you know, the players don't try in real life, so that's super weird when they try in the game because it's not realistic. I, I don't know. I don't know how to fix it. That's my issue. It's because players don't want to get hurt, so you need to give them an incentive on why they should play hard. Uh, we're just going to leave the NFL Pro Bowl there as there's no more interest in it. Tell you what I do have interest in. That is the 48 Laws of Power, the book I've been reading and talking about on the podcast. It's been fun. It's been fun. Uh, we last When we last chatted, I believe I talked about law number 23. I'm halfway through law number 27 right now. So I'll share with you laws 24, 25, and 26, just with all the fun information I've been reading. So law number 24, very interesting one. Play the perfect courtier. The perfect courtier thrives in a world where everything revolves around power and political dexterity. He has mastered the art of indirection. He flatters, yields to superiors, and asserts power over others in the most oblique and graceful manner. Learn and apply the laws of courtiership, and there will be no limit to how far you can rise in the court. And the laws of um, court politics are avoid ostentation, ostentation, uh, which is basically not causing any suspicion, not stirring up any envy. You know, be careful with uh, your achievements. Never, never overachieve against people. And this doesn't mean not win, but always be humble. Never make people think that they're better than that you're better than them, because that's what people hate. Now, with some people, you have to, such as practicing nonchalance. Never seem to be working too hard. Okay, that's why. Because you want your superiors to acknowledge you, but you never want them to think that you're a threat. Very fascinating. Be frugal with flattery. It may seem that your superiors cannot get enough flattery, but too much even of a good thing loses its value. This actually applies to some women when you're uh, trying to get them. You know, there's a lot of pretty... Actually, this applies to women at the bar. Um, I've never done this before, but this is just from observation, is that if you go up to... Pretty girls here all the time that they're beautiful. So let's say you go up to some girl, you got to hit her with something new. You got to hit her with something fresh. Or this goes for resumes even, you know, jobs get the same damn resume over and over and over again. You got to stand out. When you do something, you have to stand out. All right, which leads into the next one. Arrange to be noticed. There is a paradox. You cannot display yourself too brazenly, yet you must also get yourself noticed. Pay attention to your physical appearance and find a way to create a distinctive, a subtle distinctive style and image. I've been working on this. I don't really have enough funds right now, personally, to be uh, separating myself style-wise. I've been trying to think of, I do wear this pair of glasses everywhere I go. And it's kind of becoming a joke with some people I know that like I always got these glasses on. That could be something. I kind of like them. I'm an aviator man. I like the aviator glasses, feeling like I'm in Top Gun or something. Cool stuff like that. Alter your style and language according to the person you are dealing with. This is very important in being a good courtier. Okay, and this goes into interviews too. When you go to a certain interview, you can't act the exact same for every single company. You have to know what that company's about, who the owners, who the heads of these companies are, and what kind of uh, styles they are of talking and dealing with people. So you always have to be a chameleon, if you will, always changing your colors with who you deal with. 
Never be the bearer of bad news. I'm working on this. I've been working on this. I've been trying to be someone who never brings up bad news. Now, with family and specific friends, loved ones, it is different. You have to share that. But with random people, with casual friends, with colleagues, always try and tell them good stuff. Never say bad news. The king kills the messenger who brings the bad news. This may be a cliche, but there is some truth to it. Never affect friendliness and intimacy with your master. That is right. This goes for your boss. Your boss is never your friend. Your boss is your boss. And this happens too. When you become a master, you have to have some authority over people. You can be cordial, but never intimate. Never criticize those above you directly. This is very important. People have gotten their heads chopped off. People have gotten fired. Relationships have ended when you criticize someone who has more authority than you. Be frugal in asking those above you for favors. Nothing irritates a master more than having to reject someone's request. It stirs up guilt and resentment. I certainly feel this way. I'm not going to say there are some relationships in my life where I can tell there. I do, I do necessarily hold some authority over people. And there are also where, um, other situations where people hold authority over me. And I can tell when someone asks you something and you have to say no. Yeah, you, you hate saying no, because you know they're not going to be happy, you're not going to be happy. So there is some resentment there. Never joke about appearances or taste. This is very important. Never, never criticize. You can inwardly criticize, you can sink in your head, think in your head, and, um, but never, never speak it out loudly. Do not be the court cynic. Express admiration for the good work of others. If you constantly criticize your equals or subordinates, some of the criticism will rub off on you, hovering over you like a gray cloud wherever you go. People build reputations. Okay, I wonder what a lot of my reputations are to different people because I'm sure between my girlfriend, between my mom, my dad, my grandpa, let's say my best friend, my casual friends, people I see in class every day, they hold certain reputations about me. I have a certain reputation, and it can be different. So never be cynical, okay? Always be admirable of people. Also, is this the last one? Is this the last one? Nope, we're still going through all the different courtier uh, laws. Uh, be self-observant. The mirror is a miraculous invention. Without it, you would commit great sins against beauty and decorum. You also need a mirror for your actions. You need to be cautious of what you say. You know the you know the saying, all right, every teacher, every parent said it. Think before you speak. I've been learning to deal with this since I was a wee little Zachary. Okay, it is tough. It is tough to think before you speak, especially someone like me. You know, I'm, I've been only child my whole life, and I've had tons of friends, okay? I've never been lonely. But when, like, no one's around and I'm at home, you know, I was playing war outside. I was talking to my imaginary comrades at war. When I'm downstairs playing Lego Wars, you know, I'm voicing the characters. And so, you know, I just, it comes naturally to me just saying what's ever off the top of my head, learning to be self-observant, not say what I needs to be said, not do certain actions. Actions speak louder than words. Remember that saying? Um, just certain things that you need to be aware of when you're uh, trying to be a good courtier. Master your emotions as uh, simple as it could be. You need to not get emotional. And I deal with this. I have little outbursts, if you want to call it that, you know, an impatience such as the red light um, turns green and the car in front of me doesn't go. I'm immediately like, come on, guy, move, you know. And then some people in the car may be like, okay, hold on. Or the food, you know, when you're waiting on your food for a while. And, you know, you just can't be impatient. You certainly can't be crying all the time. Uh, I will say, if you're going to master any emotion, I'll say laughing and smiling can be one of your best tools for using just in a majority of scenarios, but also silence. Silence is good. Fit the spirit of the times. Second to last one, a slight affection 
of a past era can be charming as long as you choose a period of at least 20 years back. Wearing the fashions of 10 years ago is ludicrous unless you enjoy the role of court jester. Okay, what does this mean? You need to have style either with the times or multiple decades back. Think about people who are still dressing like it's 2010. They got the they got the neon Nike pants on. They got the freaking flat build hats on still. That stuff is so 10 years ago, back when I was in elementary school. If you're going to dress any way, dress old-fashioned, ancient. Uh, not ancient, but like I'd say like some 90s styles can be coming back. I mean, think about perms. Perms were back. Mullets were back from the 80s. Some stuff never goes away. And the last thing about being a, a courtier, or just this is just the first part of this is be a source of pleasure this is critical it is an obvious law of human nature that we will flee what is unpleasant and distasteful while charm and the promise of delight will draw us like moss to a flame make yourself the flame and you will rise to the top john de la bruiser had a famous quote a man who knows the court is a master of his gestures of his eyes and of his face he is profound impenetrable he dissimulates bad offices smiles at his enemies controls his irrigation disguises his passions belies his heart speaks and acts against his feelings being the source of pleasure always be bringing happiness, always bringing joy. You need to be that pleasure, okay? Not everyone can play the role of the favorite, for not everyone is blessed with charm and wit, but we can all control our unpleasant qualities and obscure them when necessary. I have to know what people I deal with, you know? My, my specific roommate, maybe even my girlfriend, maybe even my grandparents, for example. I cannot act the exact same around them, but I always need to be that source of pleasure, okay? Very, very um, interesting scenario. Scenarios. Um, they give amazing examples throughout this, such as Alexander the Great um, sending um, Aristotle. Uh, he was a great. Um, Aristotle was one of the. Uh, how? What word am I looking for? I'm looking for a specific world word. Uh, Aristotle was one of the advisors. Of, uh, advisor. That's the word I'm looking for. And that's funny because I actually have to meet with one of my school advisors. Uh, Aristotle, one of Alexander the Great's advisors, and Aristotle sent um, one of his. What do you want to call it? Uh, oh, freaking, oh, oh my gosh, I'm mind blanking. One of his offspring, one of his students, if you will, whatever the term is when you're, uh, when you're under someone. I have no idea. But he sent this man along with Alexander the Great to represent him because Aristotle didn't want to travel in war. And this man got on Alexander the Great's nerves and Alexander put him to death because of it. And uh, in the court, you have to not be honesty. Honesty is a fool's game when you're dealing with certain people. This man was too honest with Alexander. He treated him like a friend, joked with him, and Alexander the Great would not have any of that. Other scenario brought up was the Han Dynasty, and Chinese scholars have written so much, so much about the Han Dynasty. And one of the important things that they put in here was that every every different era of Han Dynasty, because there were so many, there was, how many is there, 21, 21 different Chinese emperors of such, but the Chinese emperor at that time was considered a god, more than a man. So whenever they wrote the historic texts, these scholars, they would always include a natural disaster along with them, such as a tsunami, an earthquake, lightning would constantly strike, um, so to unbalance the universe, which would make this emperor seem larger than life. No need to change what's going on, if you understand. Um, that was another good one. What were some other ones? Uh, it basically gave examples for every every little miniature law or aspect of this that I talked about. I mean, a lot of, lot of examples in this book of, what's it, uh, 
from the Chinese, from the Han emperors, from the ancient dynasties of ancient China. There's a lot to learn from all of that. There's, they even give examples of Winston Churchill in here with a painting. He had this famous painting um, of himself and this guy at, at the uh, Time and Life magazines back in the, uh, what was it, the 40s? Time and Life magazine, you know what that is. In New York, Winston Churchill visited him. And he noticed that on his painting, the, uh, the New York Times guy, what, what was his name? Um, Henry Luce, Henry Luce, he was an American publisher. And he mentioned on the picture that it would have looked better if there was a horse with Winston Churchill. So Winston said, give me that, give, I, see, I think it was a sheep, but the animal doesn't matter. And Winston said, give that, give that painting to me. And he took it back to England, had the specific painter who painted it, or artist, draw a sheep on there and send it back to them. And it was, in stature and fame, Churchill stood head and shoulders above Luce, but Luce was a man of power, so there was certainly an equality between them. But Churchill had a, such a fear of criticism, because basically the uh, the publisher, Henry Luce, was criticizing how the painting was, and it just kind of shows the balance of uh, authority. It's kind of hard to explain all these uh, very quickly over here. I mean, it'd take, I'd take freaking hours on the podcast to read them all the way through, but I encourage everyone to read these. Law, Law 24 was super, super intuitive, interesting, interesting, intuitive. That's where I'm storing the information. Law 25 was recreate yourself. Do not accept the roles that society foists on you. Recreate yourself by forging a new identity, one that commands attention and never bores the audience. Be the master of your own image rather than letting others define it for you. Incorporate dramatic devices into your public gestures and actions. Your power will be enhanced and your character will seem larger than life. Julius Caesar did an excellent job at this when he would uh, command events in the Colosseum. I mean, he would stage freaking fake ship battles with water in the stadium, epic gladiator battles, and it certainly gained him a notoriety as just being this incredible, incredible producer of these events. I mean, the the audiences here would trump any any event you've seen in history in our modern times. I'm talking Metallica in Russia when there was like, millions of people more than that there was millions millions of people in ancient rome flocking to see what julius caesar would put on which was just just immaculate there's this quote by den dennis didorat 1713 to 1784 wow he lived 71 years do not people talk in society of a man being a great actor they do not mean by that he feels but that he excels in simulating though he feels nothing that's what the actor does. He must lead people to think that he is someone more than he actually is. Here's the image. The Greek sea god Proteus. His power came from his ability to change shape at will, to be whatever the moment required. When Menelaus, brother of Agamon, tried to seize him, Proteus transformed into a lion, then a serpent, a panther, a boar, running water, and finally a leafy tree. You must be like that. You must be someone who can change their shapes, recreate yourself into someone more than what you are. There really isn't any reversal of this law. It's a very critical law. Bad theater is bad theater, and people will not want to be around you if you remain the same. Here's what Baltazar Gracian said. He's had an amazing, amazing number of quotes. I love writing down his quotes as my quote of the weeks. There's so many in this book. Um, here's his quote. Know how to be all things to all men. A discreet Proteus, a scholar among scholars, a saint among saints. That is the art of winning over everyone. For like attracts like. Take note of temperaments and adapt yourself to that of each person you meet. Follow the lead of the serious and jovial in turn, changing your mood 
discreetly. Very much. Very much. Liked that law. I mean, just was there not to like? Was there not to like? Recreate yourself. Everyone needs to do it at some point. Everyone needs to give up childhood um, childhood antics. I certainly know I need to hang on in my childhood sometimes. You know, I have these stuffed animals that I still keep with me, you know, reminding me of my childhood. I still play Xbox. I still play video games, make no money off of it. I still wear certain clothing that may be out of style, you know, with a lot of writing on it. And, you know, there's just something about it that I just know. The older I get, the more I need to change how I act. I need to recreate myself to obtain power. Ooh, mysterious. Ooh. And the final law we will talk about is Law 26, which is keep your hands clean. Here's what it says, you must seem a paragon of civility and efficiency. Your hands are never soiled by mistakes and nasty deeds. Maintain such a spotless appearance by using others as scapegoats and cat paws to disguise your involvement. This one I catch, I've been starting to catch myself on, is whenever I say something that makes me look negative in any regard, a funny story about how I fell, a funny story about how I failed to do something, I got caught doing something, I catch myself saying that. Anything negative about myself, such as someone saying, like, I think I mentioned to one of my friends, like, yeah, you know, I've been trying to hit more abs at the gym and running more to uh, get a six-pack. And they said, oh, you don't have a six-pack? I thought you had one. And I was like, no, no, no. And even little interactions like that leave imprints that I am not some some perfect person, which I don't. You, the goal is not to be perfect. It's to make people think that you are spotless in a way. There are two parts to this law. The first is conceal your mistakes, have a scapegoat around you to take the blame. And this was such a, such a, just an interesting look into the ancient ways of stuff. It talked about, um, I don't want to butcher this, but this was the Chinese Han Empire. Um, Cao Cao emerged as the most powerful man in the country. And we thought, seeked thought, seek thought. What was it? I'm trying to say seek, but in like a different term. Sought, sought, I think, is he sought to extend his power base and to rid himself of all his rivals. He had this plan to take over, and his troops were starting to get a bit, bit put off by him. They weren't really feeling what Sal Sal was uh, talking about. So, the, and who told him this was actually the chef's cook, the, his cook, Hans, uh, Sal Sal's personal cook. And what did he do? You know, the soldiers, they were mad at him about stuff. And what Sao Sao had the cook put himself to death and he hung his head in the center of the camp next to the cooking pot. And he and it was basically just a symbol, a symbol of what happens when you uh, use when you criticize someone above you. And he was his scapegoat to obtain power. Now, I'm not this is a terrible example. This is just the example I'm giving. I'm not cutting anyone's head off. I'm not saying to do that to anyone. There is this certain um, story in the observance of the law number two. Uh, Caesar Borgia campaigned to gain control of large parts of Italy in the name of his father, Pope Alexander. And when he finally came over the town of Romanga, he put into, um, put into what is it, uh, power, if you will, or just this man named Romero de Orco, who can only be described as a cruel and vigorous man. He was basically the police, if you will, the town executioner. He, he commanded authority... And um, when uh, people started to uh, not like the way things were being run, you know, Caesar um, put Orco to death and hung his headless body in the center of the town. And the whole point of this is that he put the scapegoat in that position for once they finally got mad. Little did they know it was Caesar they should be mad at. But Caesar Borgera killed the man he put in power so that he could keep his power. 
very, very fascinating. Here's the image for you. The innocent goat. On the Day of Atonement, the high priest brings the goat into the temple, places his hands on its head, and confesses the people's sins, transferring guilt to the guiltless beast, which is then led to the wilderness and abandoned the people's sins and blame vanishing with it. This is from biblical times. Even the scapegoat represents all the sin in the world, and we send it out, you know, in some drastic conditions. Killing, killing, but we don't really deal with that. The Baltazar Gracian quote here was, Folly consists not in committing folly, but in being incapable of concealing it. All men make mistakes, but the wise conceal the blunders they have made, while fools make them public. Reputation depends more on what is hidden than on what is seen. If you can't be good, be careful. I love that quote. I have it on my wall. Reputation depends more on what is hidden than on what is seen. If you can't be good, be careful. I compare this to, don't kill me, don't kill me, government, you know, I'm just reading theories, but the supposed um, supposed conspiracy that a bunch of the rich men um, teamed with the CIA to kill uh, JFK, and they made tons of blunders, they were unable to conceal their mistakes, but they were able to somehow escape with anyone finding out who had done it, I'm talking like the Henry Fords, or um, not FDRs, who was... Um, who was the leader of the FBI? It doesn't matter, but all those rich people of that time, certainly they uh, were part of that, but they were able to have scapegoats to get out of it. Second part of this law was make use of the cat's paw. In the fable, there's a certain fable about a monkey and a cat. A monkey grabs the paw of his friend the cat and uses it to fish chestnuts out of a fire, thus gaining the nuts he craves without hurting himself, even though the cat gets burnt. If there is something unpleasant or unpopular that needs to be done, it is far too risky for you to do the work yourself. You need a cat's paw. Someone who does the dirty, dangerous work for you. The cat's paw grabs what you need, hurts who you mean to hurt, and keeps people from noticing that you are the one responsible. Let someone else be the executioner or the bearer of bad news, while you bring only joy and glad tidings. Cleopatra was excellent, excellent at this. She used Mark Anthony, she used Julius Caesar as her cat's paws to obtain power and take over Egypt, which is uh, certainly very, very fascinating. And even... When you look at 1920, there was a civil war in China between the Nationalists and the Communists. And the Nationalist Party just about wiped them out. But one of the generals of the Communist Party uh, managed to capture one of the Nationalist Parties. Coincidentally, at the same time, the Japanese invaded China. So the Communist leader said, I will spare you to the Nationalist leader if you used your troops combined with mine to take out the Japanese. And the Nationalist leader was like, of course, I will do that. And by the time they're done finding the Japanese, the Nationalists were just about wiped out and the Communists took over, which actually, how communism is still around in China to this day. Very fascinating. Um, the Indian philosopher Catullus said in the third, third century, wow, BC, third century BC, one should not be too straightforward. Go and see the forest. The straight trees are cut down. The crooked ones are left standing. All right, you got to be careful with what you do. And even tells the story of David and Bathsheba in this, where David... This is from the Bible. David wanted this woman named Bathsheba, but her um, husband, Uriah the Hittite, was a notable fighter in the war, so he sent him out to battle, put him in the front line, and he was killed. And after Bathsheba was done mourning, David took her as his wife and even had a child with her. That's from 2 Samuel, chapter 11 to 12. Very fascinating. The cat's paw. You always have people. Or basically, I forgot to mention Job. David. David wrote a letter to Job. Job was the cat's paw. Job was David's cat's paw who took over 
as um, or he put Uriah. He was the battle commander. Forgot to mention that. And for the Chinese story, uh, the uh, communist leader Chiang, he put uh, Chong, the Nationalist Party leader, as his cat's paw in the front of the battle. I should have I should have been alluding to that cat's paw more. Here's the image, of course. One last time, the cat's paw. It has long claws to grab things. It is soft and padded. Take hold of the cat and use its paw to pluck things out of the fire, to claw your enemy, to play with the mouse before devouring it. Sometimes you're at the cat, but most often it doesn't feel a thing. That's what you got to do. That's what you got to do to um, to obtain power. You must always have people that you can use to your advantage. I'm starting to notice this more as I look to uh, get good grades. That there are always people I can reach out to to obtain me work, to do stuff for me. And as I level up in the world, I'm going to take note to get some scapegoats and cat paws under my wings. Not in a malicious way, all for good, all for the good, you know. Sometimes I read these chapters and I worry people are going to think I'm some, I'm some evil man who just wants to take over. But no, I'm just a humble reader who uh, likes, to, likes to learn more and more as the days go by. But that's all we got for the 48 Laws of Power. Um, next episode, Thursday or Friday, we'll be looking at Laws 27... 28, 29, I should, be, I should be able to get through a couple of those um, as we get to that point. Uh, let's go. We're going to, right now, we're going to revisit the UFC in 2022 as our series of revisiting the UFC, talking about events that happened, where I was for certain events, continues. A new segment that we are actually going to be incorporating in the coming uh, weeks or months, whenever I just have like a free period where I have nothing to talk about on the podcast, is we're going to be looking at past WrestleManias, as we build it to WrestleMania 40, going down the first weekend of April, April 6th and 7th. Uh, wow, so UFC Vegas 90 is going to be overshadowed. Um, per personally, can you believe WrestleMania is one weekend and UFC 300 is the next? And this comes from a wrestling fan who really only tunes in for the first four months of the year. Um, but yes, we're going to go through, review all the past WrestleManias. I'm thinking we do them in segments of 10. I look at WrestleMania 1 to 10, one episode, 11 to 20, the next episode, or just kind of in patterns like that, 20 to um, 30, and then 30 to 39, as we uh, kind of review everything. Because, you know, I know, I know my WWE knowledge as much as I know my UFC knowledge, and this is the Surprise Jet Podcast. We got to talk about stuff. I am working on getting guests. It's very hard with my current setup to get guests. I'm also very, I've also been very busy lately. It's been absolutely ridiculous. I was planning to do a fast, actually. My dad did a 24-hour fast. I was not going to do a 24-hour fast. But unfortunately, just the sickness, it was getting to me. So we'll, uh, we'll have to postpone a fast until maybe next week or even later in the week. But uh, as for now, let's revisit the UFC in 2022. 2022 was a good year. Very fun year. We revisited 2021, and there was a lot of doozy events, if we all remember last episode. Um, also my YouTube videos have been kind of cutting out. I don't know what's been going on with that. They haven't been uploading properly. I'll have to get that fixed. The UFC in 2022, first event was on January 15th, the final on December 17th. There's a total of 42 total events, 13 UFC pay-per-views, 511 total fights, 19 title fights. Some releases and retirements that were notable this year. Um, Alexei Olenek ended his contract in the heavyweight division. He will be greatly missed. A legendary heavyweight. So many submissions. He was always fun getting knocked out or submitting people. Always goofy. 
Askar Askarov asked to be released in the flyweight division. He was on his way to a title shot before he lost a interesting decision to Kaikara France. Crazy how that happened. Aspen Ladd was released in the, the uh, women's bantamweight division in August. She went on to the PFL. Very fascinating. Ben Rothall was released in April and actually went on to have success in bare-knuckle fighting. Pretty, pretty cool there for Ben Rothwell. Other notable retirements, uh, signees. Donald Cerrone retired in July, one of the greats of the lightweight division. Um... Always enjoyed watching Donald Cerrone fight. Always so fun watching him uh, compete. Shame that he had retired, but that's how it goes. Frankie Edgar retired in November as well, a legend of the game. And he's going into the UFC Hall of Fame this summer. Very much love to see. Greg Hardy was released in March of this year. Greg Hardy has just, what a what an interesting human being. I'm kind of glad he's gotten knocked out. Jeremy Stevens chose uh, to not have his contract renewed in January, or they didn't choose to. Jeremy has since gone on to uh, bare knuckle fighting, PFL, I mean, Bellator. That guy bounces all around. Joanna Jion Jacek retired in June. I've heard she's playing a comeback, though. Uh, former woman's flyweight, strawweight champion. I believe strawweight champion, actually. Um, other fighters, Luke Rockhold retired in August. I thought he had already been retired. I'm sure he'll be back. Marlon Marais retired in April. Uh, he actually went on to the PFL, where he would then continue to get knocked out more. Actually, can we find Marlon Marais? This is actually one of the saddest tales in MMA history. Uh, there's one point that Marlon Marais uh, beat Jose Aldo by split decision in December of 2019. His next seven fights, he proceeded to get knocked out. Absolutely insane. Knocked out by Corey Sanhagen in 2020. Knocked out by Rob Font in 2020. Knocked out by Marab Dovichelli. Knocked out by Sangye Dong in 2022. In the PFL, knocked out by Shaman Marais. Knocked out by Brendan Lonay. And his final fight, knocked out by Gabriel Braga. Absolutely insane. Marlon Marais' fall off. It's terrible to see. Terrible to see. Uh, Mickey Gall was released in August. He once beat a freaking CM Punk. Nate Diaz finished his UFC contract in September with a win at UFC 279. One absolute legend. Sam Alvey was released in August. Of course, ended the UFC on like a 10-fight losing streak. Absolutely incredible. Shane Burgos chose to sign with the PFL in August, yet to obtain success there. Uriah Hall retired in August and Zabit Magomedsharyov officially retired in June. I Oh, man, it sucks that we'll never get to see him fight again. Very tragic. Uh, but we care more about a fighter's health than we do about our personal personal joy in watching them fight. I'd rather a fighter be safe and healthy than me going, oh, why can't I see Zabit compete anymore? No, none of that. Some interesting debut fighters of this year. I mean, Azmat Mirzakhanov debuted this year. Kyle Barallo, two, uh, two great, great fighters in their respective divisions. Anyone notable? Really? A lot of names you'll recognize. Jack Della Maddalena, all right, top 10 UFC welterweight fighting Gilbert Burns at UFC 299. Halton Almeida debuted this year, and Halton Almeida is fighting Chris Blades at UFC uh, 299. Very fun. Uh, Joe Pfeiffer, the man, the main event coming up this weekend. He debuted this year. Very cool to see. Kareen Silva, she's a killer in the women's flyweight division. Mike Mallett, gosh, how about Mike Mallett losing to uh, Neil Magny? Yikes. Uh, Mohamed Usman debuted this year. Mohamed Mokaev, March 2nd. He'll be fighting Alex Perez. Love that undefeated British fighter. Raul Rosas Jr., of course, won at UFC 282 as a freaking 18-year-old. Absolutely crazy. Renat Fakhradinov debuted this year. Tatsu Taira, both those fighters undefeated. Uh, Treshawn Gore debuted this year. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of debut fighters. A lot of... No, one, no champions yet. There were some champions in 2021, but none this year. 
Um, the Ultimate Fighter, you were, uh, what was that, season 30? Yeah, season 30. Uh, Mohamed Usman won. Hasn't really done much since. Juliana Miller, first off, the women from Ultimate Fighter season 30 all suck. They all suck. They went nowhere. Even the heavyweights didn't do anything. What a terrible season. Just awful. Title fights. We had so many title fights. We'll talk about all those as we go through the year. We kicked things off with Calvin Cater and Giga Chikadze. And this was this was not like Max Holloway versus Calvin Cater. No, Calvin Cater put on a proper whooping against G Giga Chikadze in this one. Only two finishes on the whole card. Vyacheslav Borshev getting a knockout in round number one. Uh, you did have Brandon Royval winning by split decision over Rod, Rod, Rogerio Bontarin. What a name. Uh, other than that, not much happened. Calvin Cater humbled Giga in the main event. Both have really not gone on to any success. Then UFC 270 went down in Anaheim, California. This was absolutely massive. Francis Ngannou versus Cyril gone. Um, just what I was so pumped for this event, and unfortunately, it was kind of a doozy in the main event. Ngannou and gone. Just I mean, it was it was just I mean, not what we were expecting. Not, not really much. Not really much action. Just kind of a letdown. Devson Figueredo would beat Brandon Moreno by a. Uh, what was it? Unanimous decision, 48-47 across the board to become the new champion. Uh, Sayyid Nurmagomedov would get a 47-second submission of Cody Stammen. I guess you would that. Jack Dallamalena did win on the prelims. Same with Matt Frivola. Very cool. Uh, yeah, not the best start to the year. Then we had Hermanson and Sean Strickland in a main event. And it was a split decision where Sean Strickland clearly won. I want to know what judge scored this. For Jacker Manson, Jacker Manson is yet to do anything good in so long. My goodness. Uh, Shavkat Rachmanov got a finish on here. Spinning back kick. Uh, Brendan Allen would submit Sam Alvey. Pretty cool. Uh, prelims. Anyone on the prelims? Halt Lomeda getting a finish on the prelims. Next up is UFC 271. Robert Wicker, Asanya 2. And this was a boring, boring main event. Nothing good. Robert Wicker made it somewhat competitive. But not enough. Ty Tuivasa did knock out Derek Lewis, and Jerry Kennedy did knock out Derek Brunson. Both those were shocking. Hanato Boycato submitted Alexander Hernandez. was pretty entertaining. Uh, on the prelims, you had Carl Zuber getting a win. And, yeah, that was pretty much it. Kind of a rough start to 2022, looking back on it. Uh, February 19th, Johnny Walker, Jamal Hill. I remember watching this in my dorm, I think it was. I think I watched this in my dorm. Yeah, I did watch this in my dorm. Jamal Hill knocked Giant Walker out in like three minutes. I think I got pizza for this event, actually. Jim Miller did knock out Nicholas Mota. I remember that KO. That was good. David Onama knocked out Gabriel Bautista or Gabriel Benitez. Mario Bautista got a win. Jonathan Pierce got a win. Nothing much. Makachev, Islam Makachev, Bobby Green was supposed to be Islam Makachev, Medina Daryush. It's a shame we'll never see that fight. That is a real shame. Jazinga Rosentruk was actually supposed to take on Marcin Tibera. That's crazy. That fight never materialized. Um, uh, Islam just destroyed Bobby Green. You had Wallach and Terman having a comeback win against Misha Serkinov. Armin Tzukrian did beat Joel Alvarez in bloody fashion with elbows. In uh, round number two, Terrence McKinney got a win on the prelims. That's all I got for this one. Nothing too memorable. UFC 272, I do remember this one, went down at the T-Mobile Arena March 5th. Colby Covington, Jorge Masvidal, I was super nervous for this, but Colby stood on business, beat Jorge. Not in the most impressive fashion, but got it done. Rafael Dos Anjos would uh, beat Sonato Moicano in dominant fashion. Bryce Mitchell would defeat Edson Barbosa in dominant fashion. Kevin Holland would TKO Alex Oliveira. Sergey Spivak with TKO Greg Hardy. I mean, yeah, Jalen Turner winning on the prelims. Marina Rodriguez winning on the prelims. 
Not too much happened. Umar Magomedov made an appearance. Gosh, 2022. Nothing really memorable as we look back on it. Kobe Covington already miles well one fight of the night. That is atrocious. Tiago Santos, Magomed Ankalaev, another fight I definitely watched in my dorm or on my phone. As about Merzikhanov, got a finish on the prelims. Um, just looking through the year, I mean, nothing too memorable. Drew Dober's comeback win over Der- Terrence McKinney on this card was very cool. Bruno Silva not getting finished by Alex Barra on the main card was super interesting. Oop, Khalil Roundtree Jr.'s body kick TKO of uh, Carl Roberson. Brutal. Sangye Dong knocking out Marlon Marais in two minutes. Very impressive. And Magomed, just the downfall of Thiago Santos, destroying him. I do remember this card, though. This is one of my favorite cards of all time. UFC Fight Night, Alexander Volkov versus Tom Aspinall at the O2 Arena in England. This is one of the, just the craziest cards. I mean, we kick it off with the debuting Mohamed Mokayev, who submits Cody Durden in 58 seconds. Uh, we then have two boring decisions. Then Paul Craig submits Nikita Krylov in round one. Sergey Pavlovich TKL Shamil Abdurakimov in round one. And Makwan Amir Khani submits Mike Grundy in round one. We then get to the main card. Ito Pira almost gets knocked out by Jai Herbert in round one. Comes back in round two and knocks him out with the craziest combo. One punch knockout. Incredible. Then Molly McCann spinning back elbow in round three over Luiana Carolina. Amazing to see. Gunnar Nelson's return, I mean, just dominated Takashi Soto. We then watched Patty Pimblett get a finish. That was crazy. Arnold Allen, TKO, Dan Hooker, and Tom Asmall submit Alexander Volkov. This crowd was absolutely electric. Loved, loved, loved this event. And every fighter who got a finish got 50K. Absolutely amazing. What do you know? You had Sergey Pavlovich, Mohamed Mokaya, Paul Craig, Iotopira, Patty Pimblett, Tom Aspinall, Arnold Allen, all on the same card. Absolutely stacked. In one of the most random events, we went to Columbus, Ohio, March 22nd, for Curtis Blades versus Chris Dawkins as the main event. It was it was absolutely so um, so random. Actually, Hamblehovich and Alexander Rockich was supposed to be the headliner. Pretty f- interesting. Curtis Blades would, of course, knock, knock Chris Dawkins out in round number two, 17 seconds in. He actually had Alexa Grasso getting to finish on this card. Kaikar France and Askar Askarov packing on this card. Um, yeah, man, if you're right, going to win on the prelims. Yeah, nothing too much. As we go through the years, wow, the years are way more exciting when you're living them. UFC 273, one of the rare pay-per-views that I missed. I remember I was actually at the bar, and uh, we, they were, we thought that they were going to put on the TV, but they ended up not putting on the TV. This is before I knew about streaming on the low-key. But, um, yeah, you admit Mike Mallet actually getting a finish on this card. Ian Gary winning on the prelims. Uh, Hamza Chimaev and Gilbert Burns putting on their legendary fight. Aljamain Sterling winning a very close split decision over Piotr Jan and Alexander Volkanovsky destroying Chan Sung Jung in the main event. Just absolutely brutal. Holy cow. Um, a lot of canceled fights on this card. Uh, Calvin Gaslam was supposed to fight Nazarene Imovov. That fight never materialized. And Driscus Duplessis was supposed to fight Chris Curtis and then was supposed to fight Anthony Hernandez. Wow. A lot of canceled fights. Uh, any others? No, no. Another dominating Volk performance here. We then, oh my goodness, yes. Then we had Vicente Luque, Bilal Muhammad too. I cannot believe Vicente Luque lost to Bilal Muhammad here. In terrible fashion too, just did nothing. Top to bottom, this card sucked. I mean, there's just nothing good on this card. We don't even have anything to talk about. I can't believe Vicente Luque lost to Bilal Muhammad. 
Then April 23rd, we had Amanda Lemos submitting Jessica Andrade round number one. I think I did watch this in my dorm two. Submitter in round number one. You also had Claudio Puelas getting a knee bar. Charles Jordan getting a submission in round one. Uh, nothing else. Nothing else. Right? You had Mike Jackson and Dean Barry's weird eye gouge. Oh, my gosh. That was so weird. Rob Font and Marlon Vera, April 30th. I do recall this event. It was the rise of Marlon Vera. Absolutely destroyed Rob Font in like the final three rounds of the fight. You had Grant Dawson getting a win on this card. Anderson Brito getting a win. Uh, Andre Arlovsky actually winning a fight. How about that? Uh, fun, fun stuff. Fun, fun stuff. Not, not really. Not really. A lot of these fight nights are just terrible. I wonder if we look back on other other years if they were good. UFC 274, one of my most torn fights, uh, fight night cards I've ever watched. Uh, my goodness, my goodness. Where do we begin with this? Just wasn't that good of a card. Just wasn't that good of a card. I mean, just decisions galore. Your one finish. Two finishes on the prelim was Andre Fialo over Cameron Van Camp and Brandon Rival over Matt Schnell. Nothing too much went, went on the prelims. Uh, we got to the main card. Randy Brown wins a split decision. Owen St. Prue wins a split decision. Then Michael Chandler and Tony Ferguson light the building on fire. And I remember that my reaction when Michael Chandler knocked Tony Ferguson out with a front kick. I was in my living room watching this with my girlfriend and my parents. And I leapt up. I was, I was just running around the room. I was like, that was the craziest KO I've ever seen. And honestly, that is still probably the craziest live KO I've ever seen. Just watching Tony Ferguson go lifeless. Michael Chandler do backflips on his unconscious body. There was just something nasty about it. I then witnessed the worst fight in uh, mixed martial arts history between Carlos Barza and Rose Namajunas. It was worse than Yoel Romero and Israel Asanya. That's hard to top. Nothing happened. So boring. Absolutely awful. We then get to the main event where I was not disappointed at all. Charles Oliveira defeats Justin Gaethje. Oh my gosh, this was absolutely insane. And Charles missed weight by 0.5 pounds. There was controversy to that, so they stripped him of the belt, but he still managed to drop Justin Gaethje and submit him in just over three minutes. The rise of Charles Oliveira. Oh my gosh, some of my favorite, favorite memories. Then May 14th, Jan Blahovich versus Alexander Rakic. I actually remember where I was. I actually went over to my buddy Tyler's house with my girlfriend, Lashinsky, that was. And I recall watching this, and honestly, it wasn't terrible. You had a couple finishes on the main card. Manuel Torres getting a knockout. Davey Grant getting a knockout. Ryan Spang getting a submission. And then Jan Blahovich and Alexander Rakic were in a competitive fight. It was one, one round each, heading into round three for Rakic. Hurt his leg. Very, very tragic. Holly Holm and Kellen Vieira. Actually, we were watching this on my phone with my girlfriend. We were at a, we went to Planet Fitness. Then we we're gonna get some food at, uh, oh my gosh, what's it called? Right by my house at a Lucy's Burgers. We're getting some chicken wings there, chicken tenders. And I was watching this on my phone, and I was just thinking, oh, Holly Holm is destroying this fight. And then Kellen Vieira won by split decision. I was like, what? What? That just absolutely terrible. The highlight of this card. Uh, Halton Almeida getting a submission over Parker Porter. Yeah, that was a very crappy card. It's hard to believe how many crappy cards UFC's actually put on when I look back on it. June 4th at the Apex, Alexander Volkov versus Jarzinho Rosenstruck. Uh, Volkov just ran through Rosenstruck. You had Mosvar Evlov out grappling Dan Ige. Uh, Kareen Silva getting a Darce choke of Poliana Botello. Anything else in the prelims? Benoit Saint Denis getting a finish. Oh my gosh, I love Benoit Saint Denis. And Aaron Blanchfield actually getting a win on the prelims too. Huh? How about that? 
UFC 275, another card, another pay-per-view I watched in my living room with my family. And, oh my gosh, an amazing card. I mean, prelim starts off, Joseline Edwards wins a boring fight. Then Silvana Gomez-Torres knocks out Nali Young in a minute and 22 seconds with a one-punch KO, absolutely deadly. Nothing else, ha- nothing else happens on the prelims. We get to the main card, Jack Della Maddalena gets a nasty TKO of Ramazan Imev. Then Jake Matthews knocks out Andre Fiala with a just a crazy knockout punch. We then watch Zhang Wei Li defeat Joanna Jeon Jacek with a spinning back fist. Absolutely crazy. We were expecting a war from their first fight in 2020. Nah, Zhang Wei Li closing out this chapter of her career. Co-main event, Valentina Shevchenko, Talia Santos. I swear, this was like Dominic Reyes, John Jones, only worse. Talia Santos clearly won this fight. Talia Santos should have been the UFC flyweight champion. Valentina won round four and five, but lost rounds one through three. And one judge had it 49-46 for Valentina. Absolute robbery, even though I picked Valentina, it was a shame to see. The main event, the greatest light heavyweight fight I have personally seen live in my four years of watching MMA as Jiri Prochaska and Glover Teixeira went to absolute war. This was absolutely crazy. They were just swinging for the fences, takedowns, just the shots they hit each other with. And Glover almost knocked Jiri out in round number five, made the mistake of shooting for a guillotine. Jiri slipped out, ended up on his back, and submitted him with under three. 30 seconds left. Gosh, it just gets me all going. I'm all hype right now just thinking about it. Following that, we had Calvin Cater and Josh Emmett in June. I think I was at the cabin for this. No, I wasn't. I don't know where I was for this. I don't really remember it too well. I did go down in Austin, Texas at the Moody Center. Uh, And yeah, I recall the main event was controversial that Calvin Cater should have won. Highlights of it, though, you had Joking Buckley defeating Albert Durav. Rest in peace, Albert, who's now not in the UFC anymore. You had Kevin Holland submitting Tim Means. Very impressive. Gregory Rodriguez knocking out Julian Marquez. Adrian Yanez KOing Tony Kelly in round one, then flipping him the bird. Uh, anything else? Cody Stammen retiring Eddie Wineland in 59 seconds with a knockout. Roman Dolodize getting a knockout. And Phil Haas getting his last UFC win over Darren Wynn. How fitting. Following that, June 25th, we had Armin Sukrian versus Matus Gamrod. I believe I was working this night. I was doing something this night where I couldn't watch this main event. But I remember hearing that Armin should have been the winner of this. Uh, I just know that Armin versus Matus was a very competitive fight. You had Umar Namagamath dominating Nate Manez. Chris Curtis defeating Rodolfo Vieira. Why do I recall every fight on this except Matus Gamrod versus Armin Sarukian? I missed the main event. And the main event only. Maybe I worked Sunday morning. I think this was a. I think I had work at um, Walmart at like not Walmart. I never worked at Walmart. Worked at Menards at like six in the morning. I think that's the case. A lot of finishes though. A lot of notable fighters. Very very cool. Actually, Amir Albazi was supposed to fight Tim Elliott on this card. Wow, that would have been a cool fight to see. UFC 276 did go down July 2nd in Las Vegas. I remember watching this with my cousin. We were trying to cook up bets to place on Underdog. Um, this was a pretty, pretty crazy card uh, on the pre. Actually, this is a weird card. This is a very weird card. Um, on the early prelims, you had Andre Munez defeating Uriah Hall. You had Driscus Duplessis 
the the second man that uh, the first man that Driscoll Duplessis never finished but beat was Brad Devars, and Brad Devars bleached his hair, and Driscoll Duplessis bleached him so up his hair was red, absolutely crazy. Ian Gary got a dominating win, and then we ended the prelims with Jim Miller submitting Donald Cerrone and Jalen Turner submitting Brad Riddell. Oh my gosh, two that was those were so crazy, and I would have gotten a little four man prelim, uh, uh what is it four man uh, parlay if I'd have picked all them. We get to the main card, and Pedro Munoz and Sean O'Malley have a no contest into round two. It was a shame to see. It's crazy the direction both men have gone. Sean O'Malley to championship status. Pedro Munoz this Saturday fighting an unranked fighter. Brian Barberito with TKO Robbie Lawler in what was just a wild, wild fight. Didn't that win fight of the night? That did win fight of the night. That was wild. Then Alex Barrow would knock out Sean Strickland. What absolutely crazy. Alexander Volkanovsky would absolutely shut out Max Holloway, winning all five rounds. And then, yet again, one of the most boring fights I've ever seen, Israel Asanga versus Jared Kinnear in the main event. Israel would win by unanimous decision, and I actually fell asleep. I actually fell asleep. My cousin kept shaking me like, wake up, Zach. And yeah, absolutely boring. Following that, we had Rafael Dos Anjos and uh, Rafael Faziv. At uh, July 9th at the UFC Apex, um, nothing really went on on this card. You had Kenny and Chukwani getting a TKO win on the prelims. Uh, yeah, nothing. Rafael Ziv would get a round five knockout uh, to uh, win over Rafael de Santos, but nothing really came of that. July 16th, my last time at my buddy Tyler's cabin. Uh, Brian Ortega versus Jair Rodriguez, an absolute disaster as uh, four minutes in. Brian Ortega would uh, hurt his shoulder, giving Ayer a TKO, but it was technically an injury victory. I mean, they're rematching February 24th, so we'll see what happens there, but who knows. Li Jing Liang got a TKO on this card. Matt Schnell had one of the craziest comebacks of all time against Sumadarji. I know we mentioned that earlier. Amanda Lemos actually got a submission win on this card. Uh, prelims, Ricky Simone. Ricky Simone became the first man to beat Jack Shore. Huh? Guess I met him in round number two on the prelims. But yeah, nothing too much there. Uh, UFC Fight Night, Chris Blazers, Tom Asmall. At the 0-2 in London, this was not as good as the first London card earlier this year. Uh, the only There were only two finishes, I believe. Or actually, there were one, two, three, four finishes? There were four finishes. I believe they all got uh, bonuses. Jonathan Pierce, TKOing Makwan Amerikani. You had Nikia Kreloff knocking out Alex. Actually, Nikia Kreloff knocking out Alexander Gustafson was brutal. Took him just about a minute. Maya McCann getting another spinning back elbow. Patty Pimley getting a rear naked chokehold. Jack Manson and Chris Chris Curse put up one of the most boring co-main events. So nothing happened. And Chris Curse was even pissed at Jack. And then uh, Chris Blades um, would take on Tom Asmall. And Tom Asmall would literally injure his knee 15 seconds in. Tragic to see. Underrated pay-per-view here, UFC 277, which went down July 30th at the American Airlines Center in Dallas, Texas. This card went through so much, so many changes. Um, John Strickland was actually supposed to take on Alex Barrett at this event, but it was moved uh, forward. Um, Anything else? Luke Rockhold was supposed to fight Paulo Costa here. It was moved to the next pay-per-view. Uh, a lot of other minor fighters, but let's get to the actual card itself. Prelims, I mean, you had Drew Dober knock out Rafael Alves and what was a crazy, crazy fight there. I remember watching that on my phone in the car. Uh, no worry, I wasn't driving, winks. Um, 
Main card kicks off. I remember watching this at my girlfriend's house, actually. Magomed Akalayev destroyed Anthony Smith, had a TKO in round number two. Following that, Alexander Pantoja will win his final fight before coming champion when he submitted Alex Perez with a net crank from the back a minute and a half in. Sergey Pavlovich would run through Derek Lewis in 55 seconds. The co-main event, Brand Moreno would bring it to Kaikara France, winning the interim flyweight championship. And the main event... Amanda Nunes destroyed Julia Pena at the time was actually very, very fun to watch. I don't know. There's just something about it. There's just so much, something so satisfied about Amanda Nunes just whooped Julia Pena, dropping her, taking her down. I had fun with this card. Following this, we moved into August where we had Jamal Hill and uh, Tiago Santos. And I do recall watching this card because it is the only card I've ever watched where every single fight was a finish, and I don't think I predicted every fight right, but I so this was certainly fun to watch. We kick things off. Myra Bueno Silva got a submission. Corey McKenna, who is one of the most irrelevant women strawweights, actually got a Von Flew choke. We then had Brian Battle knocking out Takashi Soto with a head kick in round number one, 44 seconds in. I do remember that. Brian Battle, one of my favorite Ultimate Fighter winning winners. Michael Olika Jacek would retire Sam Alvey with a two-minute knockout of him. Terrence McKinney would get the main card going with a submission. Sergey Spivak would TKO Augusto Sakai. Juliana Miller, who won the Ultimate Fighter, would get a finish with a minute and three seconds left in round number three. Muhammad Usman would knock Zach Pauk out cold. Oh, this was the Ultimate Fighter finale. Yes, Zach, Muhammad Usman would knock Zach Pauk out cold 30 seconds in round number two. Gosh, actually sent him dropping. Jeff Neal would beat Vicente Luque so badly to the head that uh, in his round three knockout, he would actually give Vicente brain bleed. And then Jamal Hill and Thiago Santos would put on a chaotic fight of the night, which resulted in Jamal Hill getting the round four TKO. August 13th, I do recall watching this at my girlfriend's house. We went to San Diego. They actually had a gate of 1.7 million. Very, very impressive. Um, any fights that were canceled on here? A lot of unnotable ones. But um, prelims-wise, you had Josh Quinlan knocking out Jason Witt cold. Very cool. Same thing with Tyson Am over Ade Osborne. Two big knockouts. Uh, main card gets kicked off. Gerald Merchart would submit Bruno Silva. With a round three guillotine choke, very interesting. Priscilla Cashwaya would blitz Ariane Lipsky and TKO her in a minute. Osmat Merzikhanov would knock out Devin Clark in round number three. Yasmin Jaraguay and Yasmin Lucindo. This fight was criticized for being put on the main card. And this is one of the greatest women's strawweight bouts I've ever seen. Yasmin Jaraguay, Yasmin Lucindo. Three-round fight at UFC uh, Fight Night. Marlon Vera versus Diamond Cruz, August 13th, 2022. Such a good fight. Underrated. Co-main event, Nate Landward, David Onama, fight of the year nominee in 2022. I mean, David Onama almost knocked Nate Landward out cold, and then I have no idea how Nate Landward survived, and then David Onama got his butt whooped. I mean, this is absolutely crazy. Nate Landward would dominate the final two rounds to get the victory. Absolutely loved this fight. And then Marlon Vera, Dominic Cruz. Literally the exact same Marlon Vera fight you see every single time. Marlon Vera loses the first two rounds, comes back in the final three. But in round four, Marlon Vera timed Dominic Cruz perfectly, hit him with a head kick, and knocked him out. I literally leaped out of my girlfriend's bed. I was screaming. I was shouting. I was like, this is the craziest thing I've ever seen. I was absolutely loving it. 
Then we get to August 20th, UFC 278. This was my first weekend of my sophomore year of college. I recall watching this on the TV in my living room. Uh, my roommate was like my good buddy. He was like, hey, we're going out. Are you coming with me? And I'm like, but UFC's on. He's like, it's your first weekend of your sophomore year. You're coming out. And I said, ah, F it. Let's go do it. I'm glad I went with. That was a fun night. As for this card itself, Amir Albazi actually won on the early prelims. Marcin Tibero won on the, uh, became the first man to actually beat Alexander Romanov on the prelims. We get to the main card. I did catch this all on my phone. Tyson Pedro, TKO, and Harry Hunsucker in a minute. Lucy Pudilova, TKO, and Uyonan. How is that on the main card? That is so weird. Rob Shelley being Jose Aldo in boring fashion. Paul Costa and Luke Rockhold putting on one of the weirdest fights. And then Leon Edwards and Kamaru Usman. Oh my gosh, my story with this fight. I watch all four and a half rounds of this, and I'm like, this is so boring. And I literally turn it off, and then I go to check Twitter, and I see that Usman got KO'd with a minute left. And I was like, I literally just turned this fight off. It was absolutely wild, absolutely crazy. Leon Edwards, still your welterweight champion. The end of an era with that. And they were in Salt Lake City. They always have good fight nights in Salt Lake City. Following that, we had uh, we went to Paris for the first time in I don't even know how many years, but um, this was super fun, super good, uh, super good event. I do recall watching this on my TV. I'm actually in my living room here at my apartment. Uh, Benoit Saint Denis got a TKO. Actually, Benoit Saint Denis got a performance at night with three knockdowns in his uh, round two TKO of Gabriel Miranda, dominant fashion. Uh, Roman Kapilov would knock out Alessio de Cherkio on this card. Nazarene Imovov would beat Joaquin Buckley. Sirogan and Taito Ivasa putting on one of the best main events I've ever seen. I mean, just going to war. Ty dropped him in round number two. Sirogan would come back and just bloody tie up. An amazing fight between these two. Co-main event, Robert Whitaker outclasses Marvin Vittori. I remember this for Sirogan and Taito Ivasa. And I think after this, I went out and had a fun, uh, what is it, uh, September night with all the boys. Following that, one of the weirdest pay-per-views in UFC history, UFC 279, which was supposed to be headlined by Aljamain Sterling and TJ Dillashaw, but this was moved to UFC 280, and instead Hamza Chimaev was supposed to fight Nate Diaz, but Hamza came in 7.5 pounds over, leading to a complete switch of the fights as um, Hamza was instead paired with Kevin Holland, who was supposed to fight Daniel Rodriguez. Daniel Rodriguez was then paired with... Um, Lee Jing Leong, who was supposed to fight Kevin, uh, or Tony Ferguson, and Tony Ferguson was paired with Nate Diaz, which just led to just a crazy mix of fights. Um, I mean, we go th- when we go through this card, it's so forgettable. I mean, prelims, Halton Almeida got a win. There you go. Johnny Walker kicked off the card with a submission of Yanku Laba on the main card. Irene Aldada had an up kick to the body while laying on the ground. Pretty weird. Dan Rodriguez would beat Lee Jing Leong in a split decision, which was very controversial. Hamza Chimaev would ragdoll Kevin Holland to his last finish win. I mean, actually, Hamza's had two, one more fight since then. And Nate Diaz would submit Tony Ferguson. I can't believe Tony Ferguson lost that. Tony Ferguson should not have lost that fight. Following that, September 17th, you had Corey Sanhagen versus Song Ye Dong. I mean, that was a that was a war. That was that was a pretty good fight. Joe Pfeiffer made his UFC debut here, got around one TKO. Uh, Gregory Rodriguez and Chidi and Chukani putting on a fight of the night where both men got bloody. Gregory Rodriguez had a huge comeback in round number two. That was a fun fight to watch. And Damon Jackson had a surprise TKO of Pat Sabatini. That was a huge upset. Other than that, not too much. October 1st, the last UFC card. One of the only ones that will ever be on my birthday, October 1st. 
And it was Mackenzie Dern versus Jan Chaonin. And let me just tell you, nothing happened on this card. Nothing happened on this card. Um, I, I, I have nothing to tell you. Sodi Yusuf got a 30-second submission of Don Chanis. There you go. That's all that happened. That's, that's all that happened. A terrible run uh, after that because then you had uh, Alexa Grasso and Viviana Rujo. A boring decision fight. Jerry Kinnear and Sean Strickland were supposed to be the main event, but that was moved. Um, you did have Jonathan Martinez winning on here. Yeah, Alonzo Menfield winning on here. Yeah, Jos Anderson Brito getting a submission. Tetsuya Terra getting an armbar. Like I said, nothing too, nothing too much. UFC 280 though, this was a fun one. I recall that this was um, I think they were celebrating my, they were celebrating something at my girlfriend's house. But I told her I was so pumped for this card, I had to catch it. So I kept sneaking down to her room for everyone was having a party upstairs. I kept sneaking down. On this card, I mean, a lot of decisions on the prelims. Muhammad Okayev, Muhammad Okayev, the undefeated flyweight, one of my favorite flyweights, did get an armbar finish on here with about 30 seconds left. Very impressive. Kyle Baralo, Nikia Krilov getting decision wins on here. Blah Muhammad getting a TKO of Sean Brady. The only thing worse than losing to Blah Muhammad is getting finished by Blah Muhammad. Embarrassing. Card kicked off for the main card. Man of Yorat got a decision win over Caitlin Chukagin. Okay. Benil Dariush got a win over Matus Gamron. Okay. Sean O'Malley and Purion putting on a fight of the night. So competitive. I absolutely love this fight. And I'm going to be honest. I just had the feeling Sean O'Malley won this when it went to the judges' scorecards. Purion was upset, but this was an amazing fight. And looking where both men have gone since then, the right winner was picked. Co-main event, Aljamain Sterling, Ragdoll, the one-armed TJ Dillashaw. And then I had to watch my sweet boy, Charles Oliveira, get destroyed by Islam Makhcha. But he'll be back. He'll be back. Just a UFC 300 early prediction, maybe. I I'm, 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 think I'm picking Charles Oliveira over Armin Sarukian. You know, stay tuned for that. Oh, my gosh. I'm so pumped for that event. We rounded out October with Calvin Cater and Arnold Allen. And I recall watching this, I believe, in, at my... I actually have no idea where I was for this, but... Arnold Allen um, would beat Calvin Cater after Calvin suffered a knee injury. Eight seconds into round number two. Very sad. Uh, Trayson Gore got a submission on here. Khalil Rountree Jr. beat Dustin Jacoby by split decision. Roman Dolodize knocked out Phil Haas. Uh, yeah, nothing much happened on here. No idea. Kickoff November, Marine Rodriguez. Amanda Lemos, this was very sad for me. Uh, by the way, Bryce Mitchell and Mosvar Evlov was supposed to be the headliner. Very sad, but Evlov withdrew, which you just hate to see. Um, Amanda Lemos, TKO and Marina Rodriguez in round number three, and as a Marina Rodriguez fan, it was sad to see. Neil Magny submitted Daniel Rodriguez. Very, very funny that uh, that happened. Uh, actually, the whole co main card was finishes. How about that? Uh, Tigir Lembekov submitted Nate Manis. Grant Dawson submitted Mark Madsen. Shailene Nerdambique submitted Derek Minor. Wow. Mario Batista got reverse triangle armbar on Benito Lopez. Ooh, how about that? Uh, nothing memorable, though, on this card. UFC 281. Oh, man, this is a personal favorite of mine. I watched this with all of my friends. I got them all corralled on a Saturday night, and we watched this entire card. This was so much fun. I mean, Carlos Uber getting a KO on the early prelims. Matt Frivola getting a KO. Aaron Blanchfield running through Molly McCann. Ryan Spann knocking Dominic Reyes out cold in round number one. Hanato Moicano submitting Brad Riddell, giving his crazy speech. 
We kick off the main card, Dan Hooker and Cloud Plaza, not the most entertaining. Then Chris Gutierrez getting a two-minute knockout of Frankie Edgar. Deadly. The war between Dustin Poirier and Michael Chandler. I cannot believe Michael Chandler lost that fight. That was Michael Chandler's fight to lose. Still so entertaining. We then watched Zhang Weili, Ma, Carla Esparza. So fun. And then I predicted an Alex Pajero round five TKO over Israel Adesanya, and it came into fruition. I remember the whole place was going nuts. I might have had a couple gold ones in me. So, you know, I was cheering pretty loud. The voice was gone after that event. UFC 281, one of my favorite pay-per-views I've watched live. We then had, uh, we're supposed to have Derek Lewis versus Sergey Spivak, but while the event was in progress, Derek Lewis was forced to withdraw due to some reason, which then the main event became Kenny and Chukwani versus Ian Kudalaba, and Kenny and Chukwani would TKO him in round number two, but since then has lost since. Jack, Mal- Jack Della Malena would get a knockout on the main card. Uh, yeah. Actually, Natalie Silva getting a spinning back kick to the head over Teresa Bleda. Very cool KO if it wants to check that out. December 3rd, going down in, um, what was it, Orlando, Florida at the Kia Center, headlined by Stephen Wonderboy Thompson and Kevin Holland. Kevin Holland's reward for uh, fighting Hamzat Shemaev. And this was a fun car. I think I watched this in my room that I'm currently in right now. Jasmine Uruguay in a round two TKO to kick things off. Francis Marshall getting a knockout after that. Uh, pretty boring prelims. Let me get the main card going. Philip Rowe knocks out Nico Price in round three. Eric Anders knocks out Kyle Docks in round two. Roman Dolodize shockingly knocks out Jack Manson in round number two. I did predict that. Sergey Pavlovich runs through Tai Tuivasa in 54 seconds. Matthias Nikalu has a crazy comeback against Matt Schnell in round number two. Knocks him out cold, actually. Rafael Dos Anjos beats uh, Brian Barrio by neck crank. And the main event, Wonderboy Thompson, Kevin Holland, fight of the night, fight of the year contender, as there's a corner stoppage after round four since Kevin Holland broke either one or both of his hands. Pretty, pretty crazy. We then get to the final pay-per-view of the year, and it was a very weird one. It was supposed to be Jerry Prochaska and Glover Teixeira, but unfortunately, that fight fell apart. Instead, Jan Blovich, Magomed Ankalaev, stepped in for the vacant Men's Light Heavyweight Championship. Actually, Jorzinho Rosenstruck and Chris Dawkins were supposed to fight on here. Uh, I think that was moved up, actually. And Blow Nickel was supposed to fight on here, but that was moved to uh, the following year. I actually recall that. Um, early preliminary card. I mean, Cameron Salmon got TKO. Chris Curtis knocked out Joaquin Buckley. Jorzinho Rosenstruck. Did knock out Chris Dacus. Oh, I thought that fight was moved. That was in 23 seconds, actually. Wow. And the 18-year-old Raul Rosas Jr. won on the prelim. Main card kicks off. Absolutely wild main card. Iotopira dominates Bryce Mitchell. If only I knew how good Iotopira was at the time. I do know how good he is now, but I didn't at the time. Triscus Duplessis and Darren Till would have just an absolute war. Did they win fight of the night? I think they, yeah, they did win fight of the night for how crazy it was. Shame, shame where they both ended up, but, you know, it, it had. Actually, no, where Darren Till ended up. Duplessis the champion. He's so good. Santiago Ponzinibbio then had a crazy comeback against Alex Moreno, who had almost knocked him out two rounds straight, comes back halfway through round three and knocks Alex Moreno out. Patty Pimblett then wins one of the worst decisions over Jared Gordon. Oh my gosh, the best for business decision. Patty Pimblett should have lost to Jared Gordon, but they gave him the nod. Then, Tom Blachowicz and Magomed Ankalaev was somehow a draw when it was clearly Magomed who won. I'm still riled up about this. UFC 282, a fight we will leave in the past. We then round it out. 2022 with UFC Fight Night, Jared Kinnear and Sean Strickland. And I recall that um, I was actually at the Vikings game when they came back against the Colts. That's right. They came back against the Colts down 33-0. I 
uh, 36-3 at halftime, and they freaking came back. And while we were driving back, my cousin Parker and my his buddy, uh, I'll call him my friend too, Christian, was uh, driving us back. I was watching this on my phone. Nothing too much happened. I mean, you had a crazy knockout of Drew Dober over Bobby Green. Pretty shocking. Alex Caceres, head kicking. Juliana Rosa, Miral Bazzi knocking out Alexandro Costa. Armin Strukin getting a win. And Jerry Kanier and Sean Strickland having a split decision. I'll be honest. After game through 2020, there were some very fun memories. I had some very fun memories this year. UFC 281, UFC 280, some great memories there. Uh, UFC Paris, amazing, amazing memories. UFC 275, I mean, the UFC 274 main event. A lot of fun memories, but yet again, a lot of doozies. As the UFC's gone on in my tenure watching, I think the quality has gotten much, much better. But you know what? There's only one place to leave, UFC 2022, or the year itself, and that is in the past. Good times, though. I love you, UFC. Alrighty, we have one more thing to talk about, and that is recapping UFC Vegas 85. I've got all of my uh, results, all the picks I made that I will share with you, and we'll see how we did. Let's get right on into it. UFC Vegas 85, after just reviewing UFC uh, the whole year of 2022, I can just say this will be one of those cards we look back on and we kind of hope to forget uh, because it was not the most memorable and there were certainly some blunders along the way. However, we did go 4-1 on the main card as one of the fights was deemed a no contest. Whole card overall, I mean... Of the 13 fights, we were able to judge 12, so I believe I got 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9. We went 9 and 3. 9 and 3 on the year is not bad. 4 and 1 on the main card. We have to add those to the stat sheet. I mean, that that's pretty good. That's pretty good if you ask me. I actually don't even know if I put this in my picks book. I don't really use the picks book anymore just because I don't really have a need for it, but it does help keep track of history. But uh, let's go through the card and talk about everything that went down. Kicking us off, we had a heavyweight bout between Thomas the Train Peterson and Jamal Pogues, and Jamal Pogues won by unanimous decision, excuse me. Um, not, that much to see, not so much to see here. I mean, this was boring. So this is boring as they come. Honestly, Jamal started stronger, but kind of kind of fell through. Round two is pretty much the deciding round. Um, totals from the fight, Jamal had more significant strikes, 65 to 58. Thomas Pearson had more total strikes, 116 to 66. Thomas went one of six on takedowns for two minutes and 47 seconds of control time. He was bleeding a bit, I saw, so that might have played some implications. But yeah, this was just a typical boring heavyweight bout, and neither of these neither of these guys could stand with any of the top 15 at heavyweight. I'm, I'm not even joking. The top 15 at heavyweight would eat these guys for breakfast. Thomas Peterson suffers his second professional loss. This was his UFC debut, unfortunate to see. Jamal Pogues, this will be his 11th professional victory and his second UFC victory. 2-1 in the UFC. What's next for either of these boys? It's hard to tell. They left little to be desired. Following that up, we had a matchup between Markel Madarios and Landon Quinones. And lo and behold, Markel Madarios got it done just as I predicted. Gets his ninth victory. Landon suffers his third defeat. And the, the whole point of this boiled down to just competitiveness. And, you know, Landon did outstrike him in rounds one. And uh, actually, Landon only outstruck him in round one. Landon, Markel Madarios outstruck him in rounds two and three. 
Uh, takedowns wise, Marquel Medeiros didn't land any. Landon landed one. I compare to the first fight, nothing happened. There were some other more exciting fights along the way. This one was not one of them. Third fight of the evening, Luiana Carolina gets her, what what is it now? Gets her third KO victory of her career when she finished Drula Giostroyalenko with eight seconds left in the third and final round of the bout. I mean, just to tail the whole fight is Drula Giostroyalenko cannot strike. Um, round one, Luiana outstrikes her 35 to 6. Round two, 43 to 14. And round three, 60 to 1. Significantly, Julie Gia didn't land a single significant strike in round number three. Leanna landed two takedowns in round three, which led to some nasty ground and pound from side control to end this fight. Good win for Luiana. Carolina getting her 10th professional victory. She's on a little two fight win streak now. Yeah. Tale of this fight is Louis uh, Carolina getting more on the ground. I mean, Julie Giostrelenko threw up three submission attempts, none lasted, and I'd say close to 10 minutes of this fight were fought in the clincher on the ground. Storylenko suffers her ninth career defeat, giving her a record of 11 9 and 2. Not the prettiest. She might be kicked from the UFC. As for Louis Carolina, she'll stick around. Good win. I don't know what's next for these ladies, honestly, but I don't know if Storylenko's going to be kept around much longer. Ji Young Lee and Blake Builder were up next at Featherweight. And just as I predicted, the Korean tire Ji Young Lee won wins his I I guess his second UFC victory. I mean, if you don't really want to count road to UFC fights as part of the UFC, but um this does add to his impressive win streak as he's now on an eight fight win streak. Um Blake Builder now on a two fight losing streak. Uh one and two in the UFC, unfortunate. Stuff for Blake, but I mean just Jiang Lee just had the edge in this one. Um 30-27 across the board. Outstruck him in all three rounds. I mean Blake Builder had more control time in rounds one and two, but I mean actually in round three, Jiang landed a takedown. Just, you know, wasn't the most exciting fight, but the Tiger got it done. I don't know. They'll probably bring both back, but Builder left little to be desired. First big moment of the night is Themba Gorimbo. That is right. The man who The Rock gave a house gets his second knockout victory of his career as he KOs Pete Rodriguez in 32 seconds. Hit him with a huge overhand, drops him to the ground, landed a couple of follow-up punches, which were all painful, giving him a 32-second knockout victory. One knockdown, 12 strikes, 2-0. For Themba Gorimba. Absolute domination. And P. Rodriguez is now 1-2 in the UFC. Both of those losses, he's been knocked out in round number one. Tough to tough to see, but it happens. Themba Gorimba, very happy for him. That rock endorsement turned it out very well. Looking to bring home a championship to South Africa. Imagine that. Imagine if he becomes a champion from South Africa as well. That'd be incredible. Uh, Themba, happy to see what's next for you. There's plenty. There's a plentiful amount of unranked welterweights who would be more than happy to fight you. Actually, there's someone who we're going to talk about later on this card who could be a potential opponent for you. I always like pairing together people who fight on the same card. But, um, yeah, that was probably the best moment. And they didn't give them 50K. They gave out two performance bonuses. They really should have gave Themba one. I guess he is a house from The Rock. Uh, second to last prelim of the night ended up being our fight of the night, which caught me very off guard as Azat Maksum loses his first professional bout to Charles Johnson, and I should have picked it, boys. I was talking. I just had that feeling that Charles would be fighting for his life to remain in the UFC, and by gosh darn it, he did it. Impressive stuff, energy. You beat 
Azat Maxum. Azat's 17-0 record now, 17-1, as Charles Johnson earns his 14th career victory. Tail of the tape, or I mean the totals from this fight, not the tail of the tape. Azat landed one knockdown. Charles had more significant strikes, 76-38. to 38. Uh, More total strikes, 81-40 to 40 in favor of Charles. Both men landed two takedowns, uh, two minutes and 29 seconds of control time for Azat, 47 seconds for Charles Johnson. Interesting. Round one, I mean, Azad almost knocked out Charles Johnson in round number one. They ended up just taking him down. Azad wins round one with these. Next two rounds, Charles Johnson keeps it on the feet, outstrikes him when it goes to the ground, remains controlled. And yeah, just outstrikes him in round two, 24 to 9. In round three, 42 to 14. Charles Johnson showing that Azad, kind of a round one fighter, one and done fighter. Energy, good for you. And I don't know how this one fight of the night. I think it was just because they wanted to give Charles Johnson a bonus of some kind. It's definitely, I mean, what even have been our other, if we had any fight of the, fight of the nights um, so far this year, Ankalaev and Walker, was there a fight of the night? No. Um, actually, so it's Strickland. Strickland Duplessis is currently your fight of the year. Yeah, this was not fight of the year. But Charles Johnson, very impressive. You will remain in this flyweight division. I don't know what's next. Actually, they'll probably keep Azat too, but man, shocking results right there. And I should have predicted it. I got to be more ballsy with my picks. I'm ballsy at times, but just not ballsy enough. So some of the correct picks I've had so far is I did have Luis Acarillo, my knockout, but it was in round one. I Marquel Medeiros by decision. Jiang Lee by decision. I had Thimbo Grimbo round three submissions, so no. I had Azat by decision. Um, final prelim, I did have Molly McCann winning by decision, but that was brutally, brutally wrong. As in our final fight of the prelims, Molly McCann gets a round one submission with uh, one second left over Diana Bell Beat. A very, very impressive stuff from the meatball Molly McCann in her women's strawweight debut. Earns a perfect 50K. I mean, she just outstruck Diana Bell Beat. Took her down twice, wrapped up an armbar with 10 seconds left, and Diana Bobia had to tap so it looked like her arm was going to pop. I think she just dislocated it, though. She's completely fine, but very, very impressive stuff from Meatball Molly McCann, who gets her first ever career submission. Absolutely crazy. She has not had a uh, career submission, and she gets it right after getting armbarred. By Julia Gia Story, let it go. Molly McCann, let's get her on the Manchester card in the UK later in the year, or on the same card as Patty Pimblett. Impressive stuff. As for Diana Belbita, you know, it's it's not the prettiest. And I, we mentioned on the podcast that she had never lost um, by knockout. Her only four losses were by submission. And so it seems fitting she lost another one by submission. In the UFC, she is currently 2-5. and five. Yikes, Molly McCann dominating, earns 50K, and had me going crazy. Fun, fun stuff. Kicking off the main card, we have the man who I think should fight Themagorimba next, Charles Radke. He knocks down Gilbert Urbina twice, including a knockout punch to get a round one knockout with four minutes and 47 seconds into round number three, or 13 seconds left into round number one, I should say. I'm reading a different fight stats. But yeah, Charles Radke gets a knockout with 13 seconds left in round number one. Just outstruck Urbina in round one. I mean, Urbina shot for a takedown once it failed. Charles Radke, impressive, impressive stuff. I'm, I'm honestly really impressed with Charles Radke. Was very aggressive on the mic. He called out every single welterweight. Um, at the media press conference, he said he wouldn't answer any questions unless he was paid by the journalists, so no one asked him any questions. Uh, very weird dude, Charles Radke. He gets his fourth career knockout. He's currently on a six-fight win streak. Second UFC win, I mean, good stuff for him. 
As for Gilbert Urbina, he lived by a sword, died by the sword, and he's just showing that a lot of these new Ultimate Fighters fighters kind of suck. Rag Key, I think you should fight them and Garimbo next, just because you're both on this same card. It's easy to match make. Plus, I'd be excited to see that fight. Fun stuff to kick off the main card. Not really, because I didn't predict it correctly. Um, moving into our next fight, we had Alishka Bob Korizov and Mahmoud Muradov, the fight I was looking most forward to. I was so hyped for this. And 11 seconds in, it was stopped after Mahmoud Muradov got eye-poked by Alishka Bob Korizov. The fight was called off. Absolutely tragic. Imagine that. Imagine that. Karizov hadn't fought in, in two years. And 11 seconds in, I pokes his opponent. I mean, it was it was just like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Um, not much to say. Run it back. Get the, Have a quick turnaround for both these guys. I, uh, oh, my gosh. Just just unreal. Just unreal. I'm, uh, I'm, a little, I'm still taking it back by it. I'm still taking it back by it. Just... We'll move on. Two two rough fights to open up the main card for me. But then we got things a rolling. Natalie Natalia Natalia Silva overcomes the awful style of Viviana Rujo to get a unanimous decision victory. Oh man, I was so happy. Natalie Natalia Silva, I keep pronouncing her name wrong, gets her 17th career victory and is currently on, and I quote, a 11 fight win streak, including a perfect 5 0 in the UFC, getting her, her fifth UFC victory. And round one, Vivian Rujo just held her against the cage the whole fight, and that's what she did the whole fight. Vivian Rujo got six minutes of control time just holding her, landed one takedown in round one with Silva, which Silva got up from. Uh, but Silva's striking was just on point 38 significant strikes to 26, almost knocked her out a couple of times. Silva was just showing more aggressiveness, and I'm so happy they gave her the victory. And uh, I had her winning my decision, so we predicted that correctly. Very happy about that result. Um, as for Rujo, one and three, her last four. I mean, you can, you can even look at her whole UFC career. It's just been boring. This this woman has had one knockout, and that was in her debut against Talita Bernardo back in May of 2019. Since May of, since July of 2019, every fight has been a decision, which is just, I don't even know if she's in the UFC still. Glad she fell down in the rankings. Get Silva a legit opponent. We're going to talk about all the rankings and some changes that were made after we look at the uh, rest of the card. But yes, I was very happy Natalia Silva won this fight. Huge fan of hers. Huge fan of yours, Silva. Following that, look, I had Randy Brown winning by decision, but Rude Boy decided to knock out Muslim Salikov in round number one. Randy Rude Boy Brown earns his eighth career knockout. And epic, just epic, or seventh career knockout. Uh, Brown, very looking very good here, gets his second straight UFC win. Um, 50K2 performance bonus. I mean, he just hit Muslim Salikov with a straight punch, sends him down, a couple follow-ups, and that was that. I mean, just they even need to follow up. Just impressive stuff from Randy Brown. And as for Muslim Salikov, you know, his second straight loss, he's 1-3 his last four. He'll probably be gone from the UFC. I mean, he turns 40 in June. Yikes. Randy Brown, happy to have you around. Happy to see what's next for you. I mean, he could even fight. Charles Radkiratham or Garimbo, I don't mind. I personally would like to see him fight upwards, maybe someone like, gosh, um, did he fight Neil Magny already? Uh, no, I'd like to see him fight Neil Magny. Honestly, I'd really like a Neil Magny fight for him. Uh, someone, someone in the top 15 of some regard. But um, yeah, good stuff from Randy Rudeboy Brown. And I was happy because I predicted him. Co-main event comes around and I'll tell you. Now, I picked Hanada Moikano to win. 
Hinato Moikano did win. 18th career victory. A little two-fight win streak now, including 4-1 and one his last five. But it was just, it was a boring fight. It was a boring fight, a bloody fight. Both men were bleeding. But, you know, totals from the fight. Both men had 23 significant strikes. Total strikes, 142-36 to 36 in favor of Drew Dober. Uh, Hanato goes 3 of 6 on takedowns for 10 and a half minutes of control time. Drew Dober had one, two, one takedown for a minute control time. And Hanato pretty much just took Dober down all three rounds. Dober had no answer for the takedowns and just... Clearly won this fight. Money Moicano cut a very crazy promo after he won. Uh, basically said he wants to be a cop after he's done. His uh, father, who's 62, just had a baby, so he wants to go impregnate his wife. He hates bad guys. He wants to kill them when he becomes a cop. More people need to respect America. I mean, Hanada Moicano, amazing on the mic. Said he wants to fight every lightweight. Um, they expressed some interest in a Dan Hooker fight, which I do like. We'll talk about some potential options for him in a bit. But Moicano, very happy you won. I had you get a submission, but I'll take a victory overall in general. And man, impressive stuff from Moicano. He just showed how good his grappling skills are. As for Drew Dober, you know, wins some, loses some. This was his first decision since June of 2021 and only his second since 2018. Unfortunate to see. Main event comes around, and we said Nazarimovov would win by decision. We put all of our XP on verdict by it, and we got a championship belt for placing in the top 10%. I know picks. I know picks. All right, I've been telling you all this. I know my UFC knowledge. Don't doubt me. Don't doubt me. Nazardine outclasses Doladize through all five rounds. I mean, we'll start off with round one. No idea why why Herb Dean didn't stop this fight. He had a little extra money on Doladize, but Roman survives round one. Totals for round one, 69 total strikes to eight, 51 significant strikes to eight. One knockdown for Nazardine. I mean, almost finished Doladize in round number one. Makes it to round number two. Imovov, um, I mean, nothing happened really in round two. A lot of hugging from Doladize. Nazardine had more significant strikes. Doladize more total strikes. Uh, wasn't until we get to round three where we had a very weird moment when Nazardine hit Roman with a, I can only describe it as basically his hand was on the ground. He hit him with a front kick to the face, um, which then preceded Chris Curtis and the whole uh, Roman Dolizzi's whole corner. Chris Curtis was in that corner. He'd actually been the last guy to fight Nazardine uh, to all start going at it. Imovov charged them from like inside the cage and Herb had to hold it back and said, I'm going to disqualify you. Ended up taking a point. From Nazardine, absolute, absolutely unnecessarily crazy. Nazardine would still go on to win that round. Nazardine would win round four, dominating in round number five. And as we get to the totals from the fight, I mean, just a knockdown for Nazardine. 112 significant strikes at 34. 154 total strikes at 59. Roman did land a single takedown, but had 10 minutes of control time just from hugging on the cage and in the clinch. Totals from the fight. This was clearly... Clearly a win for Nazardine Imabov, okay? Derek Cleary had the best scorecard, 49-44. That's what I agree with. Sal Diamato, 48-46. I mean, would have been, would have been, I believe, 49-46, if not for the point takeaway. But Ron McCarthy had this as a draw, 47-47. I don't know how this could be a draw. I have no idea how this could be a draw, okay? So Nazardine clearly won round one. Round one could have been a 10-8. Round two, Roman, you could say maybe won it, okay? One to one, heading into round three. With the point takeaway, 
and giving Roman that round would make it 10-8, which would then give Roman Dolizzi a two-round advantage, giving Nazardines round four and five. So it's just, as, as, as possible as it is, Roman didn't win. at Roman at max won one round. Just terrible judging from Ron. I'm so happy Nazardine won his first win since September 2022 after just a string of bad luck. That's for Roman Dolodizze, back-to-back fights. He's been humbled by Marvin Vittori and, Roman Do- I mean, and Nazardine Mavov. It's time we get rid of him. Nazardine gets his 13th career victory. Roman suffers his third UFC defeat and professional defeat. Very happy Nazardine got the win here. I'm a fan of him. I like your work, Nazardine Mavov. So yeah, not too bad. Nine and three on the uh, whole card. Put all our XP on Nazanimovov, and it paid off. So let's look at the rankings and see what's next for all these fighters. Looking at, we'll just go through all the rankings. We'll just go through all the rankings here. Um, women's flyweight now Natalia Silva moves up to number seven. Viviana Rujo falls down to number eight. So Silva's going to be looking up, and of course we have Jessica Andrade. They'll be taking on Marina Rodriguez. Caitlin Chukagan's got a fight with Macy Barber. Manny Fiora and Aaron Blanchfield are fighting soon. So Silva's got a number of options. If any of them pull out, she's coming in. But so she could be looking at the loser of Chukagian and Macy Barber, the loser of Manny Fiora and Aaron Blanchfield, or even Jessica Andrade, win or lose. So a lot of options for Silva. Happy to see what's next for her. As for Vivian Arujo, I mean, she's going to be fighting down someone like Tracy Cortez, Kareen Silva, Casey O'Neill. I don't really see the Casey O'Neill fight, but, you know, a lot of options for her. Uh, Jasmine Jesse Davis actually passed Andrea Lee towards the bottom of the rankings, 14, moving from 15 to 14. Interested to see who she fights next. Could be Jasmine versus Arujo. Fun, fun stuff. Men's heavyweight having a little movement, even though no fights this weekend. Marcin Tibera is now tied with Derek Lewis for the number 10 spot. Sergey Spivak passes Tai Tuivasa from 9 to 8. Spivak doesn't have a fight lined up. Tai Tuivasa is fighting Marcin Tibera March 16th, I believe. I believe that's correct. Moving to the men's middleweight division, Nazardine moves up to the number 8 spot. Roman Dolodizze down to 10, and Jack Manson, who fights this weekend, moves to number 11. Roman, I mean, you could fight the winner of Kyle Barallo and Paul Craig. You could fight Anthony Hernandez. You could fight a bum. Roman Dolodizze is not getting a top 10 guy next. As for Nazardine Imovov, I mean, Roman Dolodizze getting no one next, but Nazardine Imovov, your winner from this weekend. A lot of options. I mean, him versus Jared Kanier, I'm throwing that on the table. Him versus ooh, Robert Wicker, Paulo Costa, winner or loser. I could do that. Winner or loser of Brendan Allen and Marvin Torrey. I could do that. Imovov, you're now in the top 10. You got a lot of options. Play your cards right. You can get a title shot soon. At welterweight, Wonderboy Thompson moves down from 6 to 7. Sean Brady is now your official number 6. And speaking of Wonderboy Thompson, Colby Covington mentioned he is one of the three people that Colby wants to face in the future. Colby also mentioned Ian Machado Gary and Gilbert Burns. So Colby Covington listing some potential names. The Wonderboy fight uh, is not going to happen, but that Ian Gary or Gilbert Burns fight are very much on the table. Moving at lightweight, Benoit Saint-Denis is now down to the number 12 spot. Uh, he was tied with Rafael Dos Anjos. Don't know why they moved Benoit Saint-Denis down. Not a Moicano, not really moving upwards at the moment. I mean, Drew Dober definitely fighting someone unranked next. But as for Money Moicano, number 10 ranked Dan Hooker. Number 8 ranked Rafael Fazeev, he could rematch him. Uh, I mean, not number 9, Jalen Turner. Number eight, number 7, Manila Arius. There's a lot of options for Moicano. I really like a Dan Hooker fight, personally. Looking at featherweight, Alex Caceres moves down to 15. Leon Murphy's now at 14. He was supposed to fight uh, Danny Gay. That fight didn't go through. I'm interested to see what happens to Alex Caceres next. 
And men's bantamweight, Jonathan Martinez, moves up two spots from 12 to 10. Very odd. No idea what Jonathan Martinez is up to next. And Tom Aswell is now tied with Aljamain Sterling for the number 12 spot in the men's pound-for-pound rankings. A lot of fun stuff next. Biggest winners from this card, Charles Johnson, Themba Garimbo, Molly McCann, Charles Radke, Natalie Silva, Randy Brown, Hanan Moicano, and Nazardine Imavov. Very much fun. Very much fun. Lots of fun on this card. Lots of L's. We'll leave it in the past. We'll leave this card in the past. We'll look to the future as we have a fun one next weekend. Jack Romanson versus Joe Piper. Also got Danny Gay and Andre Feely on there. Brad Rivera versus Rob Gregory Rodriguez. There's also some other fun fighters on there debuting. Bellagio Key, Robert Brzeek, um, Bogdan Guskov getting a second fight in the UFC. We'll make this next week's card fun, but as for now, UFC Vegas 85 gets a 6 out of 10, gets a 5 out of 10. It was a typical Apex card. But you know what? We did good on picks. So at the end of the day, that's all that matters. And that's all, folks. That's all we got for today's episode. I got a lot of stuff to work on for the just with life in general. A lot of, lot of uh, homework. A lot of uh, got to find an internship and stuff. A lot of the grind continues. The grind never stops, ladies and gentlemen. It never stops a going. As for now, though, thank you all for listening. We'll be back Thursday or Friday, of course, with a uh, preview of UFC Vegas 86. My official Super Bowl predictions. I got to cook up some other things to guess for the Super Bowl. Um, we're going to be finding out some other fun stuff to do for that episode. But as for now, I will catch you next time on the Surprise Jab Podcast.